Hello and welcome to Pod Academy. I'm Tess Woodcraft. Here in the UK, the practice of journalists and the ethics of the press have been under scrutiny after it became clear that some of our tabloid newspapers had been involved in hacking the phones of celebrities, politicians, royalty and even the victims of crime. There's been a lot of soul-searching. What do we mean by a free press? Should the press be subject to statutory regulation? These are some of the questions being addressed by the Leveson Inquiry into the culture, practice and ethics of the press, which is due to report on Thursday the 29th of November 2012. To get some background on all of this, I went to talk to Angela Phillips, reader in journalism at Goldsmiths, University of London, and the chair of the Ethics Committee of the organisation Media Reform. I started by asking her to explain how the British press is currently regulated. The press in the UK is already governed by a framework of fairly draconian laws, which govern things like libel and what you can report about court cases. We also have the PCC, which is a Press Complaints Commission, and that is a self-regulatory body which is supposed to look after ethical behaviour. But one of the problems with the law is that because all cases have to be taken privately, you have to be pretty rich to take a case against a newspaper because you have to fund it yourself. The trouble with the PCC, the Press Complaints Commission, is that it's entirely run by the industry a run on behalf of the industry, and it doesn't work very well. And it hasn't been working very well, and that's why Levinson was set up. The Levinson Inquiry was set up in relation to a particularly egregious breach of the law, which was the, was the question of phone hacking. It was something that was discovered by the Guardian newspaper, was uncovered by the Guardian newspaper, and led to questions being asked in the House, and then Cameron decided to set up an inquiry to look into the way in which the press was behaving. What the inquiry discovered was that the press was basically being allowed to get away with breaches in the law because the police weren't really taking the subject seriously. So we find ourselves in this rather peculiar situation that we have an inquiry looking into the behaviour of the press and trying to come up with a new settlement when we already have, on one hand, quite strong law and, on the other hand, a rather weak self-regulation and somehow trying to knit the things together. Lots of people have gone and given evidence, celebrities and so on, to say that their phones were hacked. What happened with phone hacking? I think phone hacking has to be looked at in the context of a very commercial, very competitive press in a very difficult financial situation. What happened with phone hacking was that it was easy and cheap to find out what what celebrities were doing by hacking their phones, which is very simple, um, and listening to their messages and conversations. It was much easier than going and hanging around outside their houses or trying to find contacts. It was a very simple way of just finding out what they were doing and knowing that that the stories you were printing were true. Because if they were true, it was very unlikely that anybody would try and take out a legal action against you because you had the defence that what you'd said about them was true which is a defence in libel. So it was a sort of short circuit that the press had found, which allowed them to run endless gossip stories, to compete directly with what was happening on the internet, to kind of ratchet up the level of um, gossip and innuendo in their own pages, to keep their audiences, which were at that point dwindling and going away and disappearing towards the internet, and to maintain their commercial viability. 
So I think what we're seeing is the kind of death throes of the dinosaurs of the old media kind of clawing each other and everybody else to death while they try to keep their audiences on board. I think that's what happened. That's what the hacking scandal was actually about. The trouble is that hacking a phone is illegal. It's illegal under the Data Protection Act. And as soon as the police got wind of the fact that it was happening, they should have moved in straight away and nipped it in the bud. Given that the police didn't do it, one might have expected that the PCC, the organisation set up by the industry to look after its own ethics, might itself have done something to remind its members that they were acting illegally and they shouldn't be doing it. But not only did they not do this, the PCC came, came up with statements suggesting that the, that the allegations being made of, of phone hacking were, in, were themselves untrue. So basically, the Press Complaints Commission and the police helped Fleet Street to cover up what was in, what was in fact illegal activity. And that is why we had the Levison Inquiry. Now, around the Levison Inquiry, a number of different camps have emerged calling for different types of regulation. Could you just take us through the various camps and what they're saying and why they appear to be saying it? What is extraordinary about this is that the camps that have been set up around the Levison Inquiry are not very far apart from each other. But they have set up this extraordinary smokescreen of fury in which one side, which is the side that represents the press, in the person of the Press Complaints Commission and the people who were involved with it, have, have tried to vilify the other side by suggesting that the, what they're interested in is state regulation of the press and censorship. This isn't true. The other side, rep represented by Hacked Off, which was a campaign that, that predates Levison by about a year or so, um, was set up simply to try and remind people that it is possible to have a responsible press and that what we had at the moment, and certainly what was made clear during the hacking inquiry, was that the press was behaving very irresponsibly. And the Hacktroff to start with was basically just a sort of ginger group, sort of making a noise saying the way the press are behaving is wrong and it should be stopped. In between the two is, is the Media Standards Trust, which is quite closely involved with Hacked Off and, and there's quite a sort of a, a connection between the boards of both of them. And then there's the Coordinating Committee for Media Reform. The Coordinating Committee for Media Reform was set up to bring together all the kind of the, the people around the edge, a lot of academics, the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists and various other organisations to try and get some kind of joint front um, arguing along the same lines. Now, in the middle of all this sound and fury, it's quite clear that nobody wants direct statutory control of the press. So everyone's committed to a free press. Everybody's committed to a free press. What they're actually arguing for is different forms of regulation. The Press Complaints Commission is desperate to maintain control of the press in the hands of the proprietors and the editors. So as, as things stand at the moment, the Press Complaints Commission is run by an organisation which is known rather, in the rather, rather ugly term, Press Boff, which is the, actually the Press Board of Finance. What that means is that it is completely financed and ultimately controlled by the print industry. What Hacked Off 
and media reform would like is something with rather more independence. Media reform is looking for an independent body which would still have editors but also ordinary journalists on it. And media reform would like to see it contain within it a tribunal which allows cheap access to members of the public to get redress. Media reform is also very committed to two what we regard as completely critical things. One is a statutory right of reply. So that would be statutory. We think that everybody should have the opportunity to have to exercise their own freedom of expression and to say, you got that wrong, what you said about me isn't true, and I want the right to be able to explain that. Um, and we think that, as in many other European countries, they should that, 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 that should be regulatory. They should always have that right. The other thing we think is very important is that we need to start separating out what is responsible journalism from what from the kind of journalism which nobody wants to ban, which is just a bit of fun. Now, a responsible journalist doing a job in the public interest, looking into the behaviour of members of the parliament, um, looking into the behaviour of people who run our major companies, those journalists need the protection of the law to be able to go about their business, to find out where people are behaving nefariously and doing things that we, the public, we would not wish them to do. And there's a whole lot of other journalism, which is basically good fun. Nobody wants to stop people having good fun, but we, a lot of people don't think that good fun is the same as bullying and that you should be allowed to invade privacy and basically libel people without any form of redress and that we shouldn't really be using people and pillorying them simply for the amusement of others. Now, there are a lot of stories that can be written about celebrities, about your next door neighbour that are not in breach of the law are a bit of a laugh and that people will, will read and chuckle about. They always have been. We shouldn't also allow people to hack their phones. That should be clearly beyond the pale. And if you do say something about a person which completely ruins their life, they should have redress. Because one of the things that people forget about the press is that they have an enormous amount of power. Press freedom it's something we all agree agree with, but they should recognise that they are far more powerful than ordinary citizens. And what I think we need is to try and take power into consideration so that people who are just ordinary individuals going about their own lives, living, living their own lives, when they become of interest to the press, they should also have some power. And at the moment they don't. Because unless they're very rich, they can't take the newspaper to court. But surely a lot of the newspapers would say it's a slippery slope. You start with a little bit of, of, of statutory regulation and it could get more and more and more. The only protection against that is, is to leave it in our hands, self-regulation. Well, that's certainly the argument of the PCC. The funny thing about the, the Press Complaints Commission and their idea about how they want to control the press they want to regulate journalists and in fact 
That would have a greater effect on press freedom than almost anything that anybody else has suggested. As far as the editors and their employers are concerned, if they had the right to withhold a press card in the, in the case of misbehaviour, they would be able to prevent a journalist from earning a living. That would allow them to just chop off journalists who haven't behaved well according to the code um, and simply employ new ones. The difficulty it is that it doesn't in any way attack the power of the editors. And we know from our own work, and I know from my own research, that very often it is the editors that are insisting that journalists do research and write stories that are in breach of the code. But under these, under these sorts of regulations, the editors and the proprietors would get off scot-free and journalists who misbehaved would lose their livelihood. I think that we haven't heard enough about what the Press Complaints Commission thinks is press freedom. What they see as press freedom is their freedom to make money by whatever means possible. What I think is press freedom is the freedom of journalists to do real journalism in the public interest. And I think ordinary people should also be given some protection of their freedom of expression. And I don't think the press should be allowed to malign people without being held to account. So let's explore a little bit what kind of regulation or what kind of supervision or whatever you want to call it, you would recommend to Leveson. What media reform has recommended to Leveson is a fairly complex structure, which is actually based on voluntary self-regulation. What we would like to see is an organisation set up which contains within it a form of legal redress to people who have been caught up in press intrusion and, and misrepresentation. Something quite similar to what the building industry does. That basically we would like to say to everybody, you come inside this tent, you register, and anybody should be able to do this, you register as a news organisation, come inside the tent, agree to, the, to, to abide by the findings of this tribunal, which will have the right to fine, will have the right to reprimand, and will operate as the first step in a legal process. So that any cases being taken against a newspaper or news organisation that belonged to this organisation would have to go through this tribunal. This would actually lower the costs for news organisations and make it easier for news organisations doing real journalism to get protection. We think that most organisations will join it because by joining the organisation you should then be able to make use of a public interest defence. You should be able to say, I am protected in law because although I did step over the line a little bit, I did it for reasons that are in the public interest. This formulation is already operating in Ireland. So we know that it's worked there. So even would you even include the right to hack phones there? I think that journalists who are working in the public interest should have to keep very careful accounts of how they find information. But they should have very wide rights to operate on the, on the borderlines of the law if they are pursuing a story which is clearly in the public interest. 
Now what we know sort this already. Well, sort of well, let's take for example the, the clearest ever case we've had. That is the MPs' expenses scandal. The Telegraph bought data that had been stolen from the M from the MPs' fees office. That was clearly a criminal act. Stealing the data was a clear, clear, clearly a criminal act. It was a breach of the Data Protection Act. The fact that the Telegraph both bought and used that information was a breach of the law. They have never been taken to task for that, and they would. And and everybody knows that they couldn't be, because it was so clearly in the public interest, because it uncovered wrongdoing amongst MPs. Now, we need to set up an arrangement which says that where you have a strong enough public interest, you should be allowed to do things that are actually on the shady side of the law. But you must audit it. You must make it very clear what you've done. You must write it all down. Personally, I would draw the line at money-changing hands. I think that there should be a ban on paying for information. I know in this, um, I know that, that most editors would disagree with that, and they say so very vociferously. I think that a whistleblower that wants to be paid for their, their information is somebody whose testimony I would suspect anyway. And I think money should be taken out of all transactions in relation to investigative journalism. But I think... I think if a journalist does something which is slightly dodgy in order to find out something that is in the interest of the public, they should be protected. And I think that a regime which put the protection of real journalism front and centre of our legal system would flag up to the rest of the world that we believe in a free press, we believe that journalists should have the maximum freedom to discover wrongdoing amongst people who have responsibility. But we should have a dividing line and say, if it is not in the public interests, then people have a right to pursue this through the courts and that the courts should be able to raise the level of fines. That way we protect what I would call real journalism. We certainly don't ban gossip. I don't, I'm not interested in banning gossip and good fun journalism. I love it. I read it. We all do. But I think we should hold them to different standards, that's all. So what yardsticks will you be judging the Leveson um, report by? The thing I would be looking for from Leveson is a protection for real journalism. I think he's a very astute man and I think that he's going to realise that he's got to give as well as taking. I'm fairly agnostic as to the formula formulation, as to the final settlement about how we implement law. I think we need a public interest defence for real journalism. I think we need access to the law for ordinary people. And I think we need the right of reply. And I don't really mind the formulation of those three things. But I do think we need to take it out of the hands of those people who directly benefit from law-breaking, which is the proprietors and editors of the popular press. I've got nothing against the popular press, although I'm often accused of wanting to strangle them or being a kind of middle-class <laughs> academic who doesn't understand. Now, one of the things that you mentioned earlier on was that this, in a sense, is a moment of crisis anyway. One part of the context of all of this is that the press is dying, that the sales of paper newspapers is going mm. down. We're increasingly getting our news online. Do you think that there is an opportunity here 
to really examine what journalism itself is all about? This ought to have been an opportunity to look at journalism, to look at where we are and look at the future. Um, media reform has tried to introduce that debate and has basically got ignored by almost everybody. We think that, the, that this is an opportunity to look at the fact that, that certain news organisations have far too much power, that News International owns and basically owns and controls a very, very large chunk of the media in this country, and that is not good for democracy. We, we would like to see monopoly law used properly to regulate the level of ownership in the press. But we realise that that is still not enough. In many ways, what's happening with the Leveson Inquiry is a complete distraction from what we really need to be doing, which is looking at how to protect real journalism for the future. And I don't think that the formula that the... That the um, popular press has come up with is the right formula. They think that if you compete directly with the gossip mongers online, you will maintain your audiences. And in maintaining your audiences, you will, you will manage to bring in enough money to keep journalism going. I think what you do by following that route is you just rot journalism by turning it into something which, which is little more than scandal. What we need to do is to turn our attention to the fact that the old forms of, of economic survival are changing. And we need to think about what do we need journalism for and how are we going to support it. We have the BBC and we need to be very, very grateful for that. We have one of the best funded, best organised, and in spite of the recent scandals, um, an organisation that delivers really good, trustworthy, responsible journalism. But we can't get by with just one organisation delivering news. We need to have news, particularly at local level, and we need to find a way of sustaining it. And the way to sustain news at local level is not through gossip. It's not through scandal. It's not through bullying. It's got to be about finding out what's happening locally and publishing it by whatever means and through whatever channel. But that needs funding, and we haven't worked out where it's going to come from yet. Thanks for listening. There's a transcript of this interview at podacademy.org, as well as more podcasts. And you can subscribe to Pod Academy on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod Academy.